Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. It's Democrats versus the Republicans. It's conservatives versus liberals. It's it's left-wingers versus right-wingers. It's CNN versus Fox. It's all these various divisions that seem to be going on. And it would also seem that we are the United States of America in name only right now. Unity, cohesiveness, oneness. Those aren't words you hear used a lot today, are they? Athletic teams strive for unity, and if they find it, they usually find success on the playing field. Families, you would think, would be a natural place to find unity. But family dynamics can often lead to strife, discord, and strained or broken relationships. Washington, D.C. certainly isn't a place where you find very much unity. So, where is the one place where unity should always be evident, abounding, and normal? The one place that they ought to be able to, and granted, not, it doesn't always happen, is within the body of Christ. Those who would say, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Of course, we're referring to the church. In no uncertain terms, God makes it clear that His people should live in unity. But how do you do that if people are so different? Is there a common denominator for the church? That's the question Pastor Clay is going to answer today as we dive back into 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in our series, Crossroads. As we make our way through this, we are going to look at a plethora of subjects that Paul deals with, all kinds of problems in the church in Corinth, just like there can be all kinds of problems in in, in a church today. The church in Corinth was made up of people with different backgrounds, cultures, and preferences, and those differences were causing division in the church. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that discord, differences, and divisiveness have no place in the body of Christ. And as we'll discover in today's message, Paul reminds the church in Corinth and the church today that what binds us together is more important and more powerful than any of our differences. Now here's Pastor Clay. But uh, we're having a little bit of trouble in our own country right now. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of discord, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of anger, a lot of um, rage, a lot of shouting, a lot of this, a lot of that, a lot of uh, disunity. There's a lot of disunity, it seems, in our uh, country uh, today. It's... Uh, it's, it's Democrats versus the Republicans. It's conservatives versus liberals. It's, it's left-wingers versus right-wingers. It's, it's uh, CNN versus Fox. It's, it, it's all these various divisions that seem to be going on in our country. And there's a lot of uh, anger and, as I said, a lot of things being said. It seems like a, a lot of people are talking at each other and very few people are talking to each other, it would uh, seem. And it would also seem that we are the United States of America in name only right now. Which is why what we talked about last week and this week is so relevant and vitally important. Because in, in, a, in the world and in the culture in which we live today, people need to see that it is possible for there to be unity. And, and the one place that they ought to be able to, and granted, not, it doesn't always happen, as we'll talk about, one of the, place, the, the one place that they ought to be able to see that is within 
the body of Christ, the church, those who would say, I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I've committed my life to him. He's the one I'm, I'm following. That is the church, not the building particularly that we meet in, not whether there's a steeple on top or not a steeple on top, uh, but, but it, is, it is the body, those who would say, I profess Christ as my Savior. I'm following him. That is the church. And that is what Paul addresses, at least at the beginning of this, this letter that we're going through, but actually two letters, first and second uh, Corinthians. He starts with that, and I want to just briefly give you, uh, really briefly, what we shared last week. Read the passage of Scripture, and then I want to share with you a second idea that's really important for the first idea. Last week we started with this idea. If you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The text will be up on the screen as well. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you'd like to take notes, by the way, there's an outline on the back of your information sheet. Uh, Some people do like to do that. Some people uh, do not. But if you do, uh, please feel free to do that. Use that uh, fancy uh, ink pen that you were given on on your way in. By the way, use that ink pen. Use it. Leave it at a restaurant when you when you pay your bill and write write the young lady or young man a tip or, or it could be an older lady or older man. I'm not discriminating against. But whatever the case may be, feel free to just leave that pen uh, someplace where somebody might see, hmm, cross-culture church. We'll, we'll have another one for you next week if the shipment comes in. <laughs> oh, it's here. They're here. We got, we're almost out of pens. <laughs> okay, I digress. Here we go. Here's what, we, here's what we said last week. There is a necessity for unity in the church. There's an absolute necessity for unity in the church. Um, 1 through 9, again, that was all introduction. We spent a couple of weeks in there looking at that. But now watch verse 10 through 17. We read this last week. I'm going to read it to you real quickly. Uh, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the name of in the same mind, and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, well, I'm of Paul, well, I have Apollos, I have Cephas, I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say that you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of p- speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Paul says there's a ne- necessity of, of unity. He, he founded the church in Corinth. He's off on another missionary journey, or he's, I think he's in Ephesus at this point, and he gets word from Chloe's people, not the Kardashians, he gets word from Chloe's people that there's trouble in Corinth, that there, there is, there's disunity, something's going on in Corinth, and led by the Spirit of God, he begins to write to them, and as I've said this several times, as we make our way through this, we are going to look at a plethora of subjects that Paul deals with. All kinds of problems in the church in Corinth, just like there can be all kinds of problems in, in, in a church today. But he starts with unity because there's, there's a necessity for unity in the body of Christ. And there's, if you're interested in that, go back and listen to that message if you weren't here last week. But let me just give you the two reasons why it's so necessary that we have unity. And I gave you, I gave you two of them last week. And I said, for our witness to the world and for our work 
in the world. For our witness to the world that, as Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. By the way, you have love for one another. This idea of, of unity that is exposed to the world around us. People can see the way we treat each other, the way we take care of each other, the way we, all the things that we do, that, that, that's, that's our witness in the world. And as I said last week, you may not think people watch or people know what's going on. Believe me, they do. They know what's going on. And I said for our work in the world. We, we need each other. I, I just quite frankly, we do. We need each other. We will always be in the minority in this world, population-wise. So as followers of Christ, we got to band together. We got to band together our efforts, our energies, our resources, our, our time, all that stuff, and say, you know what? L- let's, let's do this thing. Let's move forward for the kingdom of God. Those were at least two reasons that I gave you last week for the absolute necessity for unity. Okay? Y'all all right? Y'all need to stand up and show y'all seem like y'all are kind of, y'all all right? Okay, because here we go. This is, we're going to get into the, the reason or, or, or how this is made possible because, well, I'll explain. Here's the second idea to share with you from this, this latter part of 1 Corinthians. There's an identity of unity for the church. So there's this necessity for unity. So where do we find this unity? Here it is. There's an identity of unity for the church. I'm going to read the rest of it. Verses 18 through the end of the chapter. Here we go. Just finished verse 17. Verse 18. Watch what, what Paul says here. Watch where he's going with this. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Notice he's drawing, there's two, two classes of, of people, those that, that are not part of the body of Christ, that, that consider this foolish, and those that are, that are being saved, they are in a relationship with Christ. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. By my count, twelve times in fourteen verses... Paul uses the word wise or wisdom. As you can imagine, that's not by accident. Paul is drawing a distinction. Paul is, is, is clarifying the difference between the world's approach to life and what it considers valuable and what it considers wise 
and our approach to, the, to, to, to life and where we find value and where we find worth. And he, and he draws this sharp distinction between those two. So that's part of the reason why this series is entitled Crossroads. Because Paul wanted the church in Corinth to know and he wanted the church today to know that the, the central theological, doctrinal, and practical thing that, that, that brings us together and binds us together is the cross. It's the cross. That is the unifying event that you and I share together as followers of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a, a biblical scholar to see that Paul says that our identity is found in Christ. Our identity is found in the cross of Christ. That's where I, our identity is found. That's, where, that's what brings together. Because listen to me. It's not found, it's not found in, our, in our backgrounds, is it? Because we all come from, from different backgrounds for the most part, right? It's not found in our, in our skin color. Because there are various skin colors. It's not found in our educational level. Because that may vary or places where we're educated. It's not, it's not found in our in our bank accounts, it's not found even in the language that we speak. No, our, our identity is found in the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ that makes us a community. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I'll bring it up on the screen so you can see it uh, perhaps even a little bit better. The, the identity that makes us a community is the cross of Jesus Christ. As the old saying goes, and if you're young, maybe you've never heard this. But as the old saying goes, all ground, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me, all ground is level at the cross. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what language you speak or what nation you are from. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. We're all the same. All ground is level at the cross. You see, Romans 3.23 is still true, which says this. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's what, that's what makes the ground at the cross level because all of us are in need of a Savior and all of us can come to the Savior, but we come to the cross and there we find our unity. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? First Peter uh, chapter 3, Peter says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Now think about this. Think about Paul's argument where he's going with this in light of the situation in Corinth, right? You've got, you've got some people saying, well, I'm a Paul. I'm with that guy. Well, I'm of Apollos. I think he's a great orator, a great teacher. I like his style. I'm with him. Well, well I'm of, of uh, Cephas, Peter. I, uh, he was a founding apostle. I, I just think I, I like following him. Well, well, we're of Christ. We like following Christ. You've got all these d- divisions. And, and Paul basically is saying to them, you knuckleheads. I don't know what the word for knucklehead is in Greek, by the way. But you knuckleheads, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all sinners in need of a Savior, and we all meet that Savior at the cross, or we do not meet him. That makes us the same. So what does Paul mean when he says, there in the, in the first part, I think, of verse eight, uh, 18, he says, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. Y'all remember? We read that just a minute ago. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing 
foolishness. What, what is it that is foolishness to them? What is it that they find foolish when, when, when we say that? Because certainly crucifixion, as, as, a, as a historically verifiable event, is, is un, unquestioned. We know, that, we know that the Carthaginians and the Greeks and the Assyrians, we, we, we know all different kinds of cultures practiced crucifixion. We, we know that the Romans crucified tens of thousands of people. Even Jesus' death on the cross is substantiated in both secular and biblical accounts. So, so what is it that it's foolish? It can't be the, the, the fact of the cross that could be foolishness to them. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It can't be the fact of the cross because, because the, the cross is a fact. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So that can't be what's foolish to them. What is, what is the word of the cross's foolishness to those who are, are perishing? Here, here it is. Let me bring it up on the screen. You can fill in a blank if you like to do that. It's not the fact of the cross that men and women find foolish. It's the faith of the cross that men and women find foolish. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the fact. That's, that's undeniable. That's unquestionable. It's the faith of the cross that men and women find foolish. And I, I want to propose to you that there are, there are three particular things or th- about the cross that they, that they specifically or particularly find foolish. Okay? Three Particular, specific things that are just, oh, that, that's, that's crazy. That's nonsense. That's, that's foolish. I, I want to propose to you there, there are at least three of those I want to share with you this morning. By the way, when, when Paul says the word of the cross, the word of the cross simply means the message of the cross. The, the word of the cross equals the message of the cross. It's the gospel. It's the good news. You understand? It's not the fact of the cross. No, it's the message of the cross that men and women find foolish and as i said there's three particular areas where i think that you'll you'll see that that they say that that is that is nonsense let me let me give those to you real quickly if i can here's the first one it's foolish to think that god would choose the cross now i won't read all of 19 through 25 again but in there paul as i said is drawing this distinction between between god's wisdom and man's wisdom between the way god operates and the way man operates between what God thinks and the way man thinks, he's drawing this distinction in there. And I'm saying to you, I'm proposing to you that one of the things they find so foolish, that the world finds so foolish, is the idea that God would, would choose to, to do this. Uh, okay, I want you to think about this for a minute. If you were God and you needed nothing or no one, you are all-knowing, you're all-powerful, you're everywhere present, got the picture? You're God. You have no need in your existence whatsoever. And you create this amazingly vast, amazingly complex, amazingly beautiful, amazingly intricate creation. And out of the goodness of your being, you create mankind to enjoy your creation. And mankind responds to your love and to your goodness and, and, and to your generosity by re- rebelling against you, by rejecting you, by making up all kinds of false gods and, and, and giving them the worship that you deserve, giving them the credit for the creation that, that you created, figuratively and literally spitting in your face. You tell me, 
If you were God, would you die a horrendously painful, horrifically vile death on a cross for the sins of the people that rejected you and rebelled against you and spit in your face? If you were God, would you do that? <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind, I was thinking about that. The first thing that came to my mind is it's a good thing I'm not God. But do you understand, to a person who is not, not receptive to the, to, to, the, to the wisdom of God and, and God working in their life and bringing discernment, can you understand how foolish that would sound? Why would God do that? Why would God do that for, for, for this world? Why would God do that for me? Why would God pay for my sins that he didn't owe? Why would he suffer and go through all that and bleed and die and, and take our sins? Why would that is, that is crazy. You know, by the way, there is no real complete answer for that question. Why would God do that? There is no way to really adequately answer that question. I don't know why God would do what he did for me. And, and when, when I attempt to answer the question, why would God do that? I can, I can only think of two words. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Now listen, we can and should say amen to that. But do you understand to, to the world, to those outside of relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you understand that's, that's just some old school song that their grandmother used to sing? And it's just crazy to think that God would do this. I, I don't. I, I don't know why God would do what he did, but I sure am glad he did it. It's foolish to think that God would want to do this. Let me give you a, a, a second reason why uh, they would find it foolish. It's foolish to think that I would need the cross. It's foolish to think that I would need the cross. Again, I'm not going to read all of 26 through 31 again, but in there Paul is, is drawing this, this idea out about the, diff, the kinds of people that come to Christ and those that don't come to Christ. Now listen to me, I want you to hear what I have to say here. Yes, it's true that throughout history there have been some brilliant minds who have come to Christ. There have been some brilliant minds that have been followers of Jesus Christ, convinced of the authenticity, the accuracy of Scripture, and the reality of God, and his astronomers and, and, and scientists and biologists. Yes, there have been some brilliant minds that have come to Christ. There, there really have been. There, there have been historians. There have been scholars. There have been judges. Even a few politicians have been followers of Jesus Christ. But by and large, the people historically, who have chosen to follow Christ are just plain, everyday people like you and me. That's it. Now, that does not mean, listen to me, that does not mean that Christianity is the religion of the less intelligent. There, there are people that believe that. There are people that would say that. But here's what, here's what I would say to you. It's, it's not the less intelligent that come to Christ. It's not the less intelligent that come to Christ. It's the less arrogant that come to Christ. There's the difference. You see, historically, again, not, I, I'm trying not to paint with too broad a brush. I'm not saying everybody in this situation. But historically, a, a number of people who perhaps have a higher uh, status in society or maybe a higher degree of education or a higher amount of greater degree of, of wealth or a greater degree of of fame and notoriety in the world have also tended to have a greater degree of arrogance 
in their life. And by arrogance, I mean a lack of humility, a lack of willingness to say, I need a relationship with God. I need Christ's death on the cross to be the redemption of my sins. I need that in my life. And quite honestly, not, again, not everybody. been some brilliant minds, and, and there have, but by and large, the people who have come to Christ, who, who just plain everyday folks that said, yes, by faith, I understand what this means, and I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. See, it takes humility. And oftentimes, those that are of more greater notoriety or fame or wealth or whatever are oftentimes unwilling to humble themselves. Humility, Stan talked about that earlier, and, and an understanding that I, I'm no better than anybody else. See, the rich man might think that he can uh, buy his way in. The famous lady may think that her notoriety may give it, get her in the the, the man or woman of greater education may think that they don't even need to get in. But almost everybody thinks that they will get in. Have you noticed that? Almost everybody, and every other religion, by the way, of the world, thinks that, that we'll be able to, to get in. I want you to notice the, 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 the similarity, what, what Paul says in, in verse twenty, latter part of verse 29, where he says that no man should boast before God. In other words, Paul's drawing out that this is a work of God. God's done this thing. And it's not the clever, it's not the wise, it's not that God did this work. Verse 29, that no man should boast. Look at the similarity between that and what he says in Ephesians. Uh, some of you know this verse by heart. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. You understand what he's saying? That, that you come to the cross or you don't come at all. There's, there's our unifying place. As I said earlier, all ground is level at the cross. But that's where you have to come. And you can't, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, how educated you are, how smart you think you are, how much money, uh, none of that matters. And to a large degree, a lot of people say that, that, that's foolish. I don't need this Jesus stuff. I, I'm a good person. I, I can, John chapter 1 but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. God does this thing, understand? And that's hard for some people to, to, to humble and say, okay, yep, I can't, I can't do it myself. That's why, as I said a moment ago, that's why every religion in the world is, is basically a works religion. If I can give enough, if I can work enough, if I can... If I can help enough, if I can attend enough, if I can do whatever. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying they won't earn you eternal life. They won't earn you forgiveness. But as John makes it clear, it's only by the blood of Christ. So it's foolish. Uh, they would say it's foolish to, to think that I would even need the cross. Now I want to give you one more uh, this morning uh, as we begin to wrap this thing up. And it looks like this. It's foolish to think that anyone would embrace the cross. Now, I'll, I'll say this to you. This, this third idea that I think people find particularly foolish is not contained in, in this chapter that, that we're going over. But as you'll see throughout the rest of 1 Corinthians and pretty much all of Paul's letters and pretty much all of the New Testament, this is a principle that, that shows up again and again and again. This idea of embracing the cross and, and what it means to embrace the cross. This is a biblical principle and oftentimes people in the world would say that, that, that's foolish. That makes no sense to me at all. Why would you even begin to think about 
doing that in your life? Why, 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 would you, why would you do this thing? Here's what it looks like. Tyler can bring that up on the screen. The invitation to come to the cross is not simply to find a new relationship with God, but to find a new life with God. Do you understand the difference there? That, that, that if I come to Christ, I come to Christ with the understanding that, that life is going to be different. In other words, it's not just a matter, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I think I'd, I'd like to enter into this relationship. We say that a lot around church, this relationship with God, because then my sins are forgiven and I'm going to be good. It's, it's, it's much more than that. It's much more than that. Jesus put it this way, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, our, our theme verse here at Cross Culture Church, by the way. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you really ought to g- think about giving up your own way. Or I, I hope you'll consider giving up your own way. I sure hope you'll pray about giving up your own way. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The cross, again, was an instrument of death. So symbolically speaking, spiritually speaking, he's saying that you and I must choose death every day. We must choose every day to not make it about us, but to make it about Christ and what he wants for our lives, what God would desire to do with our lives. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? Say it, say it. A new person. It's become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Notice there's a change. Something has transpired. I'm not the same person I was. I've become this new person in Christ. That's not simply spiritually speaking, but practically speaking. I'm not who I was before I knew Christ as my Savior. How about this one in uh, Galatians chapter 2? I have been crucified with Christ. There's that reference again, isn't it, to the cross. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me oh hold on hold on a minute are you telling me that coming into a relationship with jesus christ accepting him as your lord and savior are you telling me this is to be the world's response this is why this is so full are you telling me that that means that you are voluntarily turning over control of your life to God? Are you telling me that every decision you make, every relationship you have, every action you take, every, every financial obligation you have, every resource, are you telling me that everything you have in your life from now on, you're voluntarily turning that over to God and you're going you're gonna to let Him, as He guides through His Word, through His Spirit, make des- decisions for you to guide you to what He wants you to accomplish in your life? Are you telling me that that's what it means to follow Christ? Hey, I, God didn't stutter, folks. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll get there in a few, we'll get to chapter 6 in a few weeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, 20. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? Now, what we're going to see is, is when we get to chapter 6 with the context of what he's, he's moving into, a lot of different things here, but he's moving into sex and marriage and all that, that kind of stuff. But he says, listen, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who comes from God and dwells inside you, you do not own yourself. You have been purchased at a great price. So use your body to glorify God. Well, I, I, I just, I, I'll, I'll decide, or I think I can do, I, I, okay. But you're going to have to find some way to reconcile it with that if you say you're a follower of Jesus. 
You understand what I'm saying to you folks? I, I'm, not, uh, I'm just saying that, that this is what he says. See, the bottom line is the, the cross is not just a place of redemption. The cross is also a place of redirection. Redirecting my life to let him now guide me, him call the shots, him decide what is right, what I should be involved in, what I should not be involved in, how I should spend my money, what, what I, all, all, how I should treat my, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, my spouse. He's redirecting my life now. And that's what I want for my life. I want God to take control of my life because now his spirit dwells within me and, that's, and, and, and he's filling me with his discernment and that's what I want for my life. And the world says, are you insane? Are you crazy? Why would you do that? Cindy and I periodically have to go to the, the dump. Y'all ever do it? Y'all have to go to the dump? I don't know how, but stuff just seems to accumulate sometimes. You know, cardboard boxes, TV that doesn't work anymore, old paint cans, I don't know, just, just trash, right? Just garbage. And, and so periodically we have to make trips to the dump to, to unload it all. To, to get it all, and then we can go back and start again. I, I have known some people, maybe you have as well, who treat the cross as if it's a spiritual garbage dump. That, uh, you know, yeah, now that I have this relationship with Jesus, now that I've asked him into my heart and he, he saved me from my sins, I, uh, that, that's good. I, I, I can live my life, I can do what I, I want to do, but I know I'm going to mess up, I know I'm going to sin, so every once in a while I know I need to go to the cross and, and, uh, and, and ask for his forgiveness and do all that and then go back and go ahead and, and, and live my, my life. Just, just, just unload the garbage that's accumulated in my life, go to the cross, unload it, and then go back and, and do life the way I want to do it. And, and all I'm saying to you is, that's not what God's, how God's Word says it works. And we have to understand that there's a call to embrace the cross. And the world says that is so foolish that you would want to do that. But that's, that's, that's our rallying point. That's, how, that's what, what unites us together. All right. There's this new show on NBC <clears throat> called Manifest you've seen it or not. There are only two episodes in. I have no idea whether it's going to turn out to be a decent show, good show, or anything, but, but it's an interesting plot. Passengers, I forget how many, but passengers on board of a plane uh, take off from Jamaica flying to New York. On their trip, the plane suddenly uh, experiences some violent uh, turbulence. Where was that word? I was trying to grab it. I couldn't. Some violent turbulence, some lightning, uh, and the plane momentarily loses power. This was, in the, this was in the initial episode a couple weeks ago. Loses power. Uh, but just as quickly as it happens, power is restored, the turbulence is gone, and the plane flies on uh, to New York without any more interruptions. But as they're nearing uh, New York and the pilot radios into the tower that they're, that they're the call signal of the plane and they're coming in for a landing, he gets kind of a strange response from the uh, tower control and uh, they're told they're rerouted to go to a nearby airport instead of landing at JFK they're rerouted to land at another airport and they land and when they land everybody's there man the ambulances are there fire trucks are there hazmats are there uh, the the FBI is there the police everybody's there and they're like what the world what is going on well it turns out that for the passengers on the plane it's only been however long the flight was, like three hours and 40 minutes since they took off uh, from Jamaica and landed in New York. But for the people not on the plane, it's been five and a half years. 
For five and a half years, the plane has been missing and presumed lost. Now, as you can imagine, that creates all kinds of scenarios for the pastors on the plane and their families that were not on the plane and, and things have transpired in five and a half years. It creates some interesting plots. Like I said, I have no, no idea how the, the show is going to turn out and all this stuff. But what's interesting is that, that in the show, the passengers are beginning to figure out that, they're, they're, that they have a bond. They don't even understand. There's a connection between the passengers on the plane that they, that they can't explain and that the world doesn't understand. And, bonus... Some unknown power seems to be working through them so that they're able to accomplish some miraculous good events in the world. And they don't have all the answers. They don't know what all this means. But one thing they know for sure is that their lives will never be the same. Like I said, I have no idea how the show's going to turn out, but I can tell you that is very much like the church. You and I have this, this one singular event that binds us together. And, and we may not be able to understand it or, or explain it all. We may have questions and the world can't understand it, but it binds us together. And God is using us to accomplish some miraculously good things in this world. And as I said, we may not have all the answers, but one thing we know for sure, our lives will never be the same again because of the cross. That's our unifying event. We have differences. Right? We, we are different people. We have different backgrounds. We have different skin shading, coloring. We have different bank accounts. We have different educational levels. We have different kinds of employment. There's a lot of variances because we are all very unique individuals, are we not? We are. And with those differences comes the potential for misunderstanding, disagreement, aggravation. But the one thing that ought to bind us together, the one thing that ought to, to, to overshadow all of that is the cross of Christ. Our earthly differences ought to disappear, ladies and gentlemen, in the shadow of the cross. The cross ought to outweigh and overpower every difference that you and I have. Because we have differences, we have preferences, Right? Some people prefer this, some people like that. Some people prefer this style, some people prefer that style. Some people like this kind of music. Some people prefer, we'll always have preferences, we'll always have differences. But the one thing that binds us together, ought to bind us together, is the cross. It overcomes every obstacle that you and I face. So that you and I can say, you know what? I didn't understand when you said that. I don't know why you did that. Or that hurt my feelings when you said that. Or that's what the church can do. It can unify together and can do that rather than saying, well... That guy hurt my feelings. I'm never coming back. Or, or I didn't understand why they did that. Or I, or I heard that they did this. So I'm kind of, you understand? That, that, that's the world, folks. The world does that. The body has this one unifying place. And that place is what? Say it. It's the cross. Father, thank you for uh, the cross. We can never thank you enough. We can't, we, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet you did it. As I said earlier, I I can't begin to explain why you would do what you did. But I sure am glad that you did. And and people inside the church are, are in a sense, not different from people outside the church in that we're we're all different. We have different uh, preferences and ideas, different thoughts. We have different personalities. But in another sense, we are very different from those outside the church in that we have this common bond. It's called the cross. And Paul knew that this was important enough to start his entire letter with this 
this one unifying idea. The cross becomes the place where we meet. All ground is level at the cross. I'm so grateful that someone can be rich or someone can be poor. Someone can be highly educated or someone can have no education at all. Someone can be young, someone can be old. Someone can be black, someone can be white, someone can be pink polka dotted. It doesn't matter. All ground is level at the cross. There it is. Our identity is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul reminded us, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, to those without a relationship with Jesus Christ. But for those of us who know Christ as our Savior, the cross draws us together and becomes that place of unity, no matter what differences we may have. The church today has the same potential for disunity that the church in Corinth had. We have our personal preferences, we have our different backgrounds, but what we must always remember is what binds us together is much more important than what would try to divide us. As Pastor Clay reminded us today, all ground is level at the cross. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.